Hello, and welcome to the Panhandle Primate Podcast. I am your host, Dexter Kearley. I'm here with Jason Boyette. Hey. Um, would you, how do you think that you would say you're the, what are you most known by? Here in Amarillo? Yeah, here in Amarillo. Um, most people in Amarillo probably know me for uh, either my podcast, Hey Amarillo, or for the local journalism I do. Okay. So I write for Amarillo Magazine. Okay, Amarillo and Magazine. And that's, that's a lot more public than most other stuff I do. Right. I was uh, I looked up because you got a bunch of books out. Mm-hmm. You got you do copyright, I guess. I you do. did for the, the Lemieux Company, the um, Super Bowl commercial. We have I, collaborated on projects, yeah. Oh. So uh, Lemieux was not the client. Mm. Uh, the client was Amarillo National Bank. Um, but uh, they're one of my clients, and then I have a lot of clients, like, you know, outside of Texas. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. How'd you get in? Well, all right, we'll get to that. I got that on my list, but we'll jump into announcements first. Um, oh, yeah, and this, uh, so I don't know, I'm recording on a GoPro, and I don't know how good, yeah, I don't, see, I, I don't know. So it's kind of funny. My, my GoPro has gone batty, like crazy. I've got new batteries for it. It'll charge up. And then I'll go to turn it on, and it'll, like, skits on me. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll turn black and then, but barely on and then off. And But if I have it plugged in, it will run pretty good. But I haven't been able to hook up to my phone, so I can't, usually I can, like, So it's spot. pointed at us. It's pointed in our general yeah, direction. I'll but gesture I, this way. Yeah, I have no clue. Uh, maybe I can pull some stills from it or something anyway. So, okay, my first announcement is... The Panhandle Podcast Meetup, which this is a thing I've been meaning to talk to you about just in general, Uh, but I'm telling my listeners, I'm trying to do this thing where we start having these events, and my my idea for it is eventually different people would be the host of it. So like this year I'm doing, or this year, this event, I'm going to be the host for it. But maybe one event you would be the host for it. And you just run however you want to set up like a live show. Intervie- I'm interviewing uh, Jenny Inzarello yeah. from... I know Jenny. Yeah. Um, which it's funny, through this podcast, through starting this, I've met so many people that I feel like I should have already met them at some point in time. You know, these people that I just feel like my path should have crossed theirs at some point in time, but it never had a reason to, I guess. Mm-hmm. But she's one of the people like... Two or three different people that I interviewed threw her name out and said, you should have Jenny on. You know, that'd be a good time. So she's also a student at the Emerald Art Institute. So okay. it's it's a benefit for the Emerald Art Institute. Um, I'm friends with Rachel, the art director there, right. or the, direct, the director of the thing. She's not necessarily like the artist that tells everybody, you know, or whatever. But <sighs> all that to say, we're going to do an event there, set up, do a live podcast. You know Hayden Pedigo? He's going to play a set at the end of it. Um, and then we're going to have some Labella's pizza. We're still figuring... See, this thing, I'm terrible with this. You know, I really was wishing somebody... Or planning on somebody else stepping in by this point and just completely taking it over. Saying, Dexter, shut up. Sit in the back corner and just get up on stage whenever we tell you to. But that hasn't happened yet. So you have to hire somebody for that. I know, I know. You have to spend money, a which... specialist. I don't have. It's like kind of funny... Uh, as you can tell, I, I home make all. I, I, I want a boom. I would like yeah. to eventually have a couple of booms because it looks so comfortable. People that are sitting there, they can move it around wherever they feel yep. comfortable. I need and, one too. My, yeah. my mics are all tabletop. Yeah, I'm a table. It's not ideal. It's not ideal. It uh, could be worse, you know? Could, uh, could be like the 80s. I couldn't imagine trying to do something like this in the 80s. 
like with recording and I guess it was probably all analog back maybe digital in the 80s uh, probably analog still analog back then. You, you don't realize how many people um, I'll interrupt here but mm. how many people like when they talk either hit the table or oh. touch the table or you know do something yeah if there's anything in front of them they'll fidget with it and yep. so I'm constantly just like well this this guest is banging the table yeah. as they talk and, and how so do you're you... gonna hear these little thumps every once in a while yeah well, and that is funny. Um, you you don't notice it, and that's a. I want to get another set of headphones as well, so that people can hear what they're doing, mm-hmm. because they can't even hear right. the tap. But for me, it's like. Yeah. But there's several podcasts where that's the the guest is tapping or doing something, and you're just I'm just gonna, same way. It's just like, yeah. well, it's just gonna be shitty. Go. I can't do anything with it. It's just gonna be shitty quality, but we're just gonna roll with it. So anyway, we're gonna do that. Uh, it's going to have music, pizza. I'm kind of planning, the way I'm pitching it, is like a podcast potluck. So, which um, I'm going to ask you here in a little bit as well, but I come across all these people all the time, and I ask them, hey, what are your top five podcasts? And they'll list them out, and they're completely different podcasts than I've ever heard of. Right. And they're all awesome, like amazing, high quality and stuff. But it's meeting, it's coming in contact with people that you're different enough that they're not listening to the same podcast all your friends are listening right. to. So that's the other point or idea is that somebody who's who listens to a lot of podcasts or is who's looking for new podcasts could show up, talk to people. Um, I guess do you have a do you have a top three list? Oh sure. What you are wanna you gonna do it now? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We'll jump in. Um, okay, so there's a podcast I've been listening to for maybe 10 years, like a really old one. 10 years? Yeah, one of the first podcasts um, that Slate, uh, which is an online magazine, that Slate put out. Okay. And I don't even know what year, maybe 2007, Wow, 2008, but I graduated called, high school that year. Yeah, that, that'll date me for sure. <laughs> but, um, it's called the, the Political Gab Fest. Mm. And so... Uh, Everybody involved with it now no longer works for Slate, but back then they were editors and stuff like that. Oh, so wow. John Dickerson, David Plotz, uh, Emily Bazelon, and they were just all writers who were having smart discussions about stuff that was happening in politics. They were political writers and okay. that sort of thing. And that was before like the whole political system was so fraught like it is oh, now. Oh, dude. Um, but even back then, uh, around the time Obama was elected, I just wanted to get involved and hear about what was happening and mm-hmm. started listening to that. Uh, modeled a, a few of the elements of my own podcast after that one. Okay. So I've been listening to that one since it started. Nice. Um, uh, regular with that. Uh, another one I listen to pretty often is the Ezra Klein Show. Mm. He's also a writer for Vox. Okay. Um, and is really good at bringing in unique people with a unique perspective and just digging out kind of what makes them tick. Yeah. And it's not like a Tim Ferriss thing where it's two and a half hours long and, you know, half of it's about supplements or something. But right. it's, it's about this is a person with a unique perspective on politics or education or something like that. Uh, he's a really good interviewer. Nice. And then the, the third one is, this is sort of a cheat uh, because because it has not officially released yet. Oh. Uh, but it's called the Lucky Few Podcast. Uh, my sister is one of the hosts of it. Really? That's cool. Um, she lives in San Francisco, and a couple other uh, moms in the California area, all three of them have children with Down syndrome. Oh. And so it's talking about 
raising their kids. Yeah. Uh, about the unique challenges, the unique culture that's really built up around yeah. uh, the Down syndrome community. Um, all three of them are super smart, super capable, and it's going to be a really fun one. That's uh, awesome. Launches, which is like uh, in two or three weeks, I guess. Really? Yeah, that's awesome, man. And you know what's super interesting is I have a couple of friends who do a lot of work with Special Olympics. And uh, what is that? I wish I could remember the name of their Agape. Um, uh, what is it called? Agape Camp. Oh yeah, for, you know yeah. they've they've worked there since, and I feel it. They're the kind of people that when you're around them, I feel like worse about myself. Yeah, because they've been helping at this special needs camp for like literally ten years to the point where there's a almost there's a large portion of the special needs population in Amarillo that would say, "I love Wade, I love Kate." You know, mm-hmm. like they just see him in they the gar- and they run up and give him a hug and. Every time I see something like that happen, it's like, dude, that's touching, you know, just because they they give as much as they receive. So the, this community, it is such a loving, accepting, understanding community that unless you're, like, helping or volunteering or really participating, you don't get to see. You yeah, know? and we grew up in that community. My mom was... Uh, at our church, she was part of the special adults ministry for a long time. Then she started working with deaf people mm. and became a uh, a preschool teacher, like a pre-K deaf teacher. Wow. And so kids would oh come to her. She gosh. would teach you know these three-year-olds how Ooh. to talk. A lot of them had like other special needs. So there were some Down syndrome kids. There were kids Dang. who were also blind. And we just grew up. My, my sister, one of her best friends, uh, lived across the street from us. She had Down syndrome. And so they were, you know, people with uh, with these different abilities were always a part of our lives, our families. Yeah. Um, and so when my sister discovered with her third child that she was, she had all the markers for Down syndrome, you know, after uh, they'd started doing the tests, we were like, you know, ours is the family. If you're going to have a kid with Downs, this is a family that's going to love that kid. At least we're prepared for it. We know what to expect. And we know how yeah. to... We, yeah, that's. I mean, my mom's a genius, you know, with with kids like that. But man, Ace is like, you're not supposed to say, "That's my favorite nephew" or "That's my favorite kid." But all of us will are like, "That's the best person in our family." Yeah, dang. You know, he's, he's he's my favorite nephew. That's he's intense. probably my sister's favorite kid. I don't know yeah. if she'd say that or not. But well, and I bet the brothers and sisters would probably say like that. He is more loved than anybody else. Well, see, and you never realize it until you have kids. Granted, I'm a young father. You know, my kid is uh, what did I say, 19 months old. You know, but whenever you ha- whenever you Whenever you help somebody or take care of somebody day in and day out that is unable to do something for themselves, mm-hmm. you realize you realize things about yourself that you can't realize otherwise, you know? Like so it's kind of a teacher in itself just dealing with somebody who and then what you end up realizing is, wow, they can do way more than I give them credit for right. and then and then that makes you feel even crappier because it's like, dang, I I don't have the same challenges. But I'm able. But they're able to do these amazing things, like that. I would probably, you know, give up on because I don't have the. I don't have the same fortitude. Maybe yeah. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. You know, there's a. I, I don't like to, to stereotype about people, but the the people with Downs that I've met, you know, you have different degrees of capability. You have different degrees of you know cognitive ability with them. But to a T, they're almost always the sweetest people I know. Mm. Like, there's there's a filter that 
whatever reason with the chromosomes that kind of gets taken away mm. with that and they can be quick-tempered at times but they can be the quickest people to laugh and smile and accept you and love you yeah than any people i know because they just don't have that that protective filter that yeah. filter that says i'm gonna kind of hold back until i've gotten to know this person so what, what's the name of this one what's the name of this podcast your sister uh, it's podcast? called the lucky few podcast the lucky few and the so lucky few it? is like a hashtag that the downs community has begun oh, using okay uh, because instead of saying well we had this unlucky thing that happened our kid had down syndrome they're saying no we are the lucky wow. people we've won the lottery because we get this person yeah. in our lives interesting uh, and so they've they've had like an introductory episode episode zero where they introduce themselves uh-huh and then the the actual episodes are are they come. are they up on anything? Are they um, on you can a you can get or? that very first episode. Yeah, it's on it's iTunes, up on, uh, iTunes, Stitcher. I think every, nice. everywhere. Oh, cool. So, do you have to individually put those up? Do you have to go to Stitcher and put up it? No, I or use, does it all pull through? I the use iTunes? a hosting service that sends it out. Now you I'll have to register the RSS service. feed, uh-huh. you know, everywhere. Yeah. Oh, uh, which you I do? did at the beginning, but yeah, okay. once you do that, then it. See, one of my buddies listens on. A different phone than Apple, and he listened through some weird podcasting app that I never yeah. uploaded mine to. It was just on there, so I, you I just have to register your feed with the various places. Each um, one individually. Each one though? individually. Yeah. It's not hard. I mean, it yeah, didn't take not. me long. I I like it, Stitcher. I. Stitcher I used to listen to a lot of stuff on Apple Podcasts. Dude, I hate the update. And dude. the update, that update is made shit. me switch. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know Taylor Wydell? Have you ever heard of this no. dude? Okay, he's been on my podcast, and I've he's come, he came to the first podcast meetup, Panhandle Podcast Meetup, um, which I guess we're still in the introduction. We're still talking about that, yeah. But um, anyway, he messaged me because we started. He came on the podcast, we hung out, talked, and he's real into podcasts. And he messaged me like the day that he updated. And I hadn't updated yet. And he was like, dude, the new update is shit. It's terrible. It's just hard to find anything. And it's so hard, man. Past episodes. Yes. Versus the last way that whatever the last format was, I felt was super easy. User-friendly. They make it really difficult to leave reviews and to rate podcasts. Or to find reviews. Yeah. I mean, you've got to... Yeah, you to find, tap like three or four yeah, times. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like it's like such a terrible platform, and and it, they invented it. They, they should know how to make it. it good. Well, that's what's that's what's crazy about it. As I always think about, like my kid, when my kid grows up, podcasting is going to be the talk radio or the uh, you know night news, like the thing that's out of style that yeah. the kid the kids aren't doing it that because oh, they'll just have anymore. like chips in their ears they're gonna they, do something crazy as hell yeah it's gonna be super super wild and to them it's gonna seem how could you not have done this then why did it take my generation to imagine this but to me it's impossible to even imagine what they'll be using you know it's like a super interesting paradox you know like when when you're a kid and you just see stuff like the VCR, all this right. stuff, I I was like developing as a young child, you stick this in here, you push this button, the TV pops on, blah, blah, blah. So then whenever I get of a certain creative age, I start projecting in a different direction, you right. know, or something. And so I always look at him and I'm like, what is he going to be doing or, or what could this turn into? 
what could podcasting and internet and all of these things, what could be the baby that comes out of this? Exactly. Like, egg, yeah, we have you know? no idea. I mean, my daughter is 18, or she's about to turn 18, and she was born in 2000. And so she has never wow. lived in a world oh. without Google. Oh. You know, without anything like that. And, and it's. 2000. There are times when I think, you know, we used to wonder something or get in an argument and not know the answer, and we would have to, like, go find a book mm, or call in information mm -hmm. or something to figure out what the answer was. And so, the yeah, trying to figure out what is this generation going to do having grown up in this in environment? How does it change their thinking? Good ways, bad ways. Um, yeah, we don't have any idea. And she's mm. trying to figure out what she wants to do for a career. And Psychology. I'm just like, you know what? Your career has not been invented yet. Yeah. You end up doing oh, something yeah. that's not a thing oh, right now. Oh, yeah. Well, and see, that's, it's frustrating because in the fire service, I see this looming, this looming shadow, you know, of self-driving vehicles. Right. Where it eliminates a fourth of the department because we no longer need fire drivers. It eliminates uh, half of the ambulance community because you don't need an ambulance driver. Right. You know, like you have all of these different options of bringing healthcare to you, possibly with robots and automation, all this different stuff. So I see this like looming on the the forefront of how is it going to change the industry that I'm in? You know, and I have no idea. And like I, whenever I ask people that should have an idea, they're not even thinking about it. They're they like whatever dude we gotta do this or we gotta do that we're not and it's like all right how can how can the city of amarello like adapt to this change in accordance to how fast it's gonna come because now and i think my generation's a little bit more prepared for it like my father-in-law's generation and maybe my even my grandfather my father-in-law's my father my father-in-law that that generation right. They're, they were used to, all right, you put in your time with one business and they take care of you at the end of it. You know, like they give you a pension, they pay your retirement, they do something. That doesn't exist really anymore and, and people don't want it to exist. They want to be able to live in Amarillo for four years, move to Dallas for two, move to Austin for one, move to San Francisco for four, move back to Amarillo, be really happy with Amarillo, hit 65 and move to Florida. You know, or some crazy shit. That's what people are wanting now, and it's, it's like, how do you build an economy around attention? It's a crazy, like, and I can't figure it out. The economy that exists in ten or fifteen years, you know, so many of just the regular service positions, definitely production, but even intellectual stuff like like writing is going to be built on AI and stuff like that. And so the people who want to be entrepreneurs or who want to own their own business are going to be robot owners. Mm. They're the people who say, yeah. I'm going to invest in this technology now, so I'll own the factory, but all my employees are going to be these, these robots right, or these computers right. that are doing whatever, whether it's writing, whether it's... It's like an Instagram economy. Yeah, it's, it's totally different. Yeah. And yeah, so, you know... When it comes to giving advice to the next generation, I'm just like, man, I got nothing. Yeah. Learn to do new just things. Just be, creative. be that, creative. That's my thing is just... Meet people, and, network. And seeing that's the thing that I, I don't think... People think AI is really good at it, but AI is only good at seeing what people like and producing something good by analyzing what it... Like mass amounts of data. 
that come into them. But then you got like an Ernest Hemingway, or you got like a Scott Fitzgerald, or you got like, even going further back, you got like a Plato who crafts this entire world right. in books. And I don't think that an AI will ever be able to do what a human can just generate. Yeah, just not, random, not on the creative side. Like, like this that. random, and, and the problem is not everybody's that creative. That's probably like point oh 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 one percent of the right. population that can produce something for people to follow. You know, it's such a small. But now, where that's how we're building this new economy is like uh, how much influence you garner when you walk into a room. Right. That's how I guess that's what economics has always been based about. But now, is it Instagram followers? Yeah. Like some rooms you walk in, if you've got three hundred twenty-five thousand Instagram followers, you're the you're, you're the deal. boss. You're, you're the, the influencer. Yeah, you're the dude that everybody's like, okay, sir, uh, what is it that we can do for you? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that we can have you like hashtag us or like tag us in your post or whatever? And the it's bank crazy. presidents, they're just trying to stay out of Instagram. You know, they don't they don't want to be on the news. Yeah, they don't want to be out. Well, and see, that's that's the marker. I think that's one of the markers of true worldly wealth. And like true success and like prominence. You don't need attention. You don't, you don't want, want attention. You say you pay a whole group of people, 15 people, to keep you from being news. Yep. You don't want anybody to talk about you. you don't, we, that's the thing is we're so aware in the news. We're so aware about the poor people. We're so aware. We see all these problems. Immigrants, um, school shootings, all these things. These are all poor people problems. They're not rich people problems because rich people are walking around with entourages. They're insulated from the real world in these like multiple layers, you know. Those are the people that say, no, I don't even want them to know I exist. I've got multi-millions of dollars. I don't want anybody to even know I'm here, you know. The coolest rich people are not the ones with the entourages but the ones who are surprising and you wouldn't know it. I mean, it's the guys like Warren Buffett, you know, who lives in the same home, you know, he moved into in the 60s. And has billions and billions mm-hmm. of dollars, but he goes and eats at Dairy Queen, you know? Yeah. Those are the people that I think are cool. Well, see, and that's one of the things I love about Amarello, is you literally have no idea who you're talking to in line. Right. You could be sitting at, like, for instance, uh, William Ware. He helped me one time at Amarillo National Bank. I was, like, there to cash a check, and I was 30 minutes early or, like, an hour early or something. But I was getting off work, and it's the one check a year I have to cash. Right. Um, so I'm like there and I'm like, eh, eh, I'll just, I'll just wait. I had my backpack in my car. I was going to read a book. So I'm walking back out. He's walking in and he's like, Hey, uh, can I help you? I'm like, ah, I just need to cash a check. He's like, ah, come with me. Go up, takes me to the secretary. She cashes my check. No problem. He's like, have a nice day. Blah, blah, blah. He'd have done it for anybody. He would have done it for any single customer. It could have been a $20 check. It could have been a $1,000 check. He didn't care. It could have been a $10,000 check. Whatever, you know? And I think I think that that's one of the... Then I met him at 575. I'm standing next to him in line. We just shoot the shit about whatever for like 10 minutes until he goes and sits down while we're drinking a beer, you know? And it's 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 almost disarming to find somebody who has a lot of influence just pretending like they... They actually don't even want you to acknowledge the fact that right. they have any influence. They just want you to treat them like any other person. I don't give a shit. I'm not. And then, then I name drop, like, because he is an important person. You know, you know about Amarillo National Bank if you have anything to do with Amarillo. Like, all of my loans are through Amarillo National Bank. Right. You know, I mean, he's a big deal. 
Um, I mentioned this on my own podcast. I, you know, I, I end up talking to a lot of people outside of this community, you know, and, and talking about Amarillo, whether it's, you know, clients or just people I meet or people I've traveled with. And, you know, when talking about what I like about Amarillo, I almost always do end up talking about Amarillo National Bank. Yeah. Because it's just such an unusual business. Oh, dude. I mean, the family, from the family that runs it being fifth generation, that doesn't happen. No. Because it implodes, almost every family business implodes around Within generations. Yeah. Yeah. They hardly ever last past three. Um, Just that, the, the way that the Ware family has supported so many different you know, local organizations, you know, keeping nonprofits afloat, yeah. all that stuff. I mean, even the way that the bank was instrumental, you know, like during the, the Dust Bowl and stuff like that, and just keeping farmers alive, yeah, you know, has is just such a unique part of this story. And those guys, like, they don't want publicity. They don't want to talk about yeah. it. They're just happy to. Well, we keep didn't on even doing stuff. we didn't even experience a recession in Amarillo. No, we're in we a didn't, bubble. We didn't experience it because of them. Like I think, and I this is hearsay. People really are interested in this. Google it or whatever. I don't even know where you'd find this information. But somebody said that the reason, one of the big reasons that we didn't go into a recession is because Amarillo National Bank wasn't lending the money at the rate that the federal government was wanting them to. So they were actually paying a fine every year because they weren't weren't willing to make that investment in this housing bubble, which the which is I have no clue about. I watched the what was it called? The Big Short? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched that movie and then it was like at the end of it I was like, I have I have less knowledge of the event and what happened after watching that movie right. after being explained what happened than I did before it it was like oh my gosh I have no clue like finances and financial guys and those big dudes but we never felt it in Amarillo it hit some places it didn't hit Amarillo you could yeah. still find a job anytime you needed a job people were building fences buying houses yeah and I no think problem. I think that's that's one of the real unsung benefits of living here is that you're not going to have the same lows that other places have, for mm. sure. You're not going to have the same highs, mm-hmm. either. I mean, we're not like Midland, where all of a sudden, everybody is dependent on oil, the yeah. hotel rooms, and then it crashes. It's just really steady, even growth, and I think that's great. Well, and I think that that's the reason a lot of young people, like my age uh, and younger, like, I, I always wanted to leave Amarillo. Now, granted, I got on the fire department at 20, or 21, um, so it was, like, not really ever really an option because it's like who would give up that job you know like once you that's the thing is there's not a high turnover rate in firefighting because once you get into it you end up working with these guys and you're like this is possibly it's sometimes the worst job ever but a lot of times it's the best job ever you know i mean it's a very uh, interesting sloth of the population that ends up going into well i think it with nurses and paramedics and cops i mean it's just a very narrow sloth of the population that ends up in this like uh job you know that's a it's it's almost like hard to call it a job it's almost more like a lifestyle right you know it's a really weird niche you know those are the best jobs though that oh definitely. don't feel like a job it just feels yeah. like a, a part of your it's life it's like damn i just gotta do this yeah. like anytime i mean you like walk into a house and it i've had a house one time had a house um and I, we were guessing from the curb what the smell was. And we all had different guesses 
from the curb. You know, it's like, it's like, ooh, but somebody, somebody has got to walk in that house. If it's me, somebody is walking in that house. That's the, that's the real kicker in the lifestyle is somebody's walking in that house. Is it you? Are you the one that's not walking in? Are you the one that has to walk in? Everybody has to walk in at some point in time. I mean, I've seen, I've seen a 20 or he was probably 32 year uh, officer throwing up on scene because of something and he never i never even saw him turn green dude these are the kind of guys that can go on a terrible call and then eat a blizzard right afterwards just you know like a big old belly full ice cream you know it's a crazy world uh i don't even know what got me talking on that sometimes i do that i like just jump off these cliffs and i never know when to stop that's how you know um, it's a good conversation. Yeah, we're at 28 minutes, and I got one more. I got one Still more. Still making announcements. This is one more announcement. This is probably the record on the announcements, actually. We're at 28 minutes. I think that's a record. Um, I've, I've carried on into the late teens, but I don't think the late 20s. But uh, Anyway, so the Colfax Half Marathon, May 19th in Denver, Colorado. My wife and I are running it. I got a couple of buddies who maybe are running it. But supposedly you run through the zoo and you run through the fire station, Colfax, you hit the historical portion of Denver. It's a half marathon at altitude. So, um, I don't know. Uh, my wife's done it. She, and that's what's funny is she's making fun of me for sometimes I try to promote myself like I'm the, the runner of the relationship. And really it's her. She's run. I think she's, I've done three half marathons. And I think she's done five. So it's kind of funny. It's really, we're going to run it. She's already run it. She says it's a blast, so I'm trying to promote, see if I can get anybody up there mm-hmm. from Amarillo versus just general area. Um, I, it's kind of funny. I, so you get the RSS feedback on Squarespace. Do you, do, do you, what do you use? Do you use Squarespace for your account? or what do you My use? podcast? Yeah, what do you no, use? No, I use Lipson. Lipson? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that you just per, you put everything through Lipson? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it so, hosts it and it generates the feed. See, I'm terrible at computers. I've I've never been technologically advanced in any way. Um, bit of a, a caveman is how I'd probably describe myself. I like to just be able to tap in it to know what I mean. Right. Um, but so I just did it through Squarespace, and I, all I did was one RSS feed to iTunes. That was it, and that was pushing my limit. Couldn't. It took me a couple of days to figure I mean, it's like literally rebelling from me. Like technology is repulsed by my touching it, you know. So it took me It took me a while, so I've only put it up on that. But from what it's shown me, I have some – I get a couple hits from California, a couple from like North Dakota, like cool. random places. I got a dude in uh, England. He it consistently is on there. Shout so out to your English Eng- listener. English listener it's hilarious and then I think it's India I get like a random hit and I think I, it's probably somebody prod me trying to find like a, a weakness in my identity so that they can steal my bank account or they'll email you, know? you and, and want to do like some SEO for you or something yeah you know, I, I get those emails every once in a while can we uh, can we help you with your website it looks like oh, you need yeah. to improve your search engine listings and that's whenever I would text back and say for free like, and they would never hit me never back. They free. would be like, "Wait a second! If this dude doesn't even have enough money to entertain the idea, he's probably not worth identity hacking." That's my entire like. I'm, that's what I'm shooting for in life, is that not worth 
having your identity like started. a robber you know like a robber doesn't try to rob another robber you yeah. know like you you don't try to rob somebody who's doesn't got anything to rob so if you can project the i'm not even worth robbing vibe then you kind of become a robber you're like kind of on the inside of the of the uh, story the uh, narrative you know it all matters where you're at in the narrative but anyway so colfax half marathon and that is the end of the announcements at 32 minutes um, all right, let's do a podcast. All right, now. let's do a podcast. Get ready for it. So, Jason Boyette, we've actually already touched several things that you're known for. You local Amarillo in your entire life? You lived in Amarillo. Born in Lubbock, moved oh, here Lubbock. when I was two. Oh, two. So yeah. yeah, Amarillo. Against my will, my parents brought me here. I, yeah, I was pretty happy in Lubbock. But. Yeah, you're always kicking and screaming anytime somebody brings you to Amarillo. My my grandma, my dad's mom. Um, he, my granddad actually brought my grandmother into Amarillo at night. So she wouldn't oh, see so how ugly see. it was. He like strategically strategy. planned. Depends to bring on the season. Her, though, yeah. You know. it's a, and it does depend on the season. Uh, do you do the farmer's market often downtown? Yeah. 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 We, we like, we're the perfect walking distance. So we walk there and we walk to June Jazz and a lot of people don't realize that Amarillo is actually a pretty happening place it with is. a lot of like free entertainment of high quality. I mean, it's not like free entertainment where they're just dragging whoever they can up. I mean, you got like good musicians um, in a lot of places, super talented people, here. and really good. The farmers market is yeah. impressive. It's, There's a lot yeah, of craft. Two years into it, it's really getting good. It's and I love where they do it on Polk Street down there, the Chamber of Commerce. That's awesome, but. Yeah, we've been we dragged the kid a couple of times last year in the wagon okay. down there. Oh man, people get a kick out of the wagon. Seeing a little cute baby in a wagon, man, there's just something about it. It's like yeah. that's the America that I wish people could get behind. Is a little kid in a wagon at a farmers market with everybody just happy to be there. Like even that I don't see freaks in Amarillo because they're just normal people. Like it's like you can see a whole sloth of be, like or what I keep saying sloth. Is that the right word? Like swatch? A swath? It, a swath, swath of people with a Maybe w? swath yeah, with a sloth. Sloth is the, uh, the, the big animal. guy Goonies. The animal. Oh, yeah, and uh, the big guy Or the Goonies. animal, yeah. The oh, animal. Have, you, have you read or listened to uh, in, uh, Ready Player One? Yes. Yeah. So did you like that book? I really liked the book. Um, I'm a little suspicious of the movie. How old are you? 44. 44. Yeah. You're like the target I'm, audience. I'm right in the middle you're of that target audience. Yeah, you were nailed by it. Um, um, I played some of those, you know, text-based adventure games oh, on, you know, damn. IBM PC Junior computers Ugh. and stuff. Uh, so I'm right in the middle of the target. I thought the book was really, really cool. Um, just, you never know. I'm yeah. always prepared to be disappointed by a movie based on a book that I like. You know what? I don't understand where the disconnect is in Hollywood. Because I really feel like there's a disconnect in Hollywood between because they put out this shit work like even like Pacific Rim. Did you ever see the first Pacific I, Rim? I, yeah. I saw okay. It. Awesome concept. Awesome storyline. It has all the great crowd crowd uh, crowd pleasing moments. You know, you have these big robots and monsters mm-hmm. fighting. It's like, damn, damn. That's sci-fi perfectly, like, and, like, that's why I like some anime. I don't, I'm not an anime fan necessarily, but anime nails the nostalgic nature with this grand, um, pulp 
fictiony type like explosion you know it's way bigger than it would ever be um and then they mess it up it's like how do you mess up transformers how do you mess up all these things but they like scientifically they're trying to get you sciency you know instead of getting you like star trek or like a, the original star wars you know yeah things, but there's there's also you... the biggest problem is always taking a single book and turning it into a single you know 90 or 120 minute movie damn that's a good point it never works you're always going to mm. take out characters and plots and things mm. that people love yeah or essential. whether it's a john grisham book or hemingway i mean it, yeah. you're gonna lose some stuff in translation screenwriters are also trying they even the best screenwriters work on a formula where they're trying to hit certain plot points mm-hmm. by certain acts in the film and that requires some messing around with beloved things right um the only way that it's really been done right and has pleased people is to take like the Peter Jackson Jackson oh, approach damn. and just say, "All right, Lord of the Rings was way too long, way too many characters. We're going to embrace it and do four movies, and they're all going to be three hours long." Yeah, and still we're taking out seventy percent of the stuff, but what you get is going to be good. It's it's going to be like my dad. I remember before we went and saw the second Lord of the Rings, which we saw the Two Towers. We saw it at like. One in the morning, or something, or no, we saw it at maybe like ten thirty or something at night. So we were getting out at like two thirty in the morning, and we went to the laundromat because I guess our washing machine was out for some reason. And it was like, let's go at two in the morning where we can just do one round because we have every machine in the place, you know, is open, nobody's there. So we were like, let's go see Lord of the Rings, then we'll go do this. And on the way there, he was like, oh, dude, this is gonna be awesome. Because of the Battle of Helm's Deep, I was in middle school. You know, I I hadn't read, I hadn't read maybe any books by that point. I was a dyslexic growing up, so like I was like literally could not read. I mean, my I remember my dad in tears at the table, like read this, like so I can go to bed. I'm like I I can't read it, you know. Um, But anyway, so he was telling me on the way, he was like Battle of Helm's Deep. It's gonna be the best, like it's gonna be the craziest thing you've ever seen, you know. And sure enough. Rolls around at midnight, twelve thirty at night. Battle of Helm's Deep. It's perfectly. The movie was perfect. It like built up. Then you have all this mounting, and then the action, and then the catastrophe, and then the action, and then the despair, and the you know, it's just like it was. It was almost scientifically form. It was probably scientifically formulated. Yeah, to like nail. To see, nail. that's how you know that Jackson did a good job was because that's the second movie, mm-hmm. the second book always a transitional book and so it's not you're not introducing characters you're not coming to a resolution it's just Mm. it's the book in the middle and so it's never as good as the first book or the last book and the the second film in a trilogy is always kind of the you know the redheaded stepchild of that trilogy because the the plot doesn't come to a big end you don't have that fun of, of actually meeting the characters for the first right, time. Right, right. You know, you're just kind of there and stuff happens to get you to the next place. Right. Uh, and the fact that he made that into a good film oh, shows dude. how good of a filmmaker he is. Yeah. How good of an adapter he is. Yeah, really, like, really blows. And then when you read the book later and you see what they did, it's like, dude, they did it brilliantly because the parts that they left out, they left out such huge chunks throughout the whole thing yeah. all the same chunk long you know? conversations with ints yeah you know, characters yeah. running through the wilderness chasing orcs yep 
Yeah, see, this was my middle school was reading oh, all of the, nice. the Tolkien. So were you, books. which one of my questions here, we haven't even made it through my, we haven't gotten to my first question, but one of my things was going to be asking you, because you write, mm -hmm. you write copy, you're also, also a nonfiction writer. Nonfiction. Do you write fiction? I have written fiction. Uh, I've not written published fiction, but okay. I've written an entire novel. Tried to get it published, was unsuccessful, and then set it aside and started writing other books. Okay, damn, dude. So I'm, I'm like a, I would love to be a novelist. That's like my dream job still. Mm. Um, the problem with doing that versus what I do now is when you write nonfiction, whether you're doing copywriting, you're working for a company or whatever, you write it, you turn it in, you get paid for it. So I like getting paid. Yeah. It's a weird quirk I have. Yeah, you have to, Yeah. With a novel, you write it, and then you try to sell it, and you might not sell it. And if you don't sell it, you don't get paid for it. So if I can write nonfiction books under contract, knowing that as soon as I turn in this manuscript, I'm going to get a check, mm -hmm. I like that. I can spend the same amount of time or longer writing a novel, and I might never get paid for those right. hours at all. Ever. That risk is, is just... It's too hard for me to take. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah. after my kids are done with college or, mm. or something like that. But more of like a retirement. Yes, yeah. I, mean, I would. Mind. I would love to just sit and make up stuff and oh. write stories and do all of that. And you can do that once your first book has been successful. But getting that first success is so hard. Well, and it's it's hard. Like what's I've, I'm trying to write. I'm I'm working on a book, a novel, and it's funny because I wrote three chapters on it. And they all compress down into one chapter, maybe half of one chapter. So, like, that's what's interesting to me about not uh, that people don't think exists on in fiction, or they don't think about it in fiction is you're building this story and it's growing in your mind as you're building the story. So, you have to get to the point to this big change point or to the resolution point. To even realize what the beginning of the story is. Right. So you have to make up this entire elaborate whatever to get to the end and realize that you just have to make it all up again. You have to like rework it, rewire it. What am I trying to say here? What am I saying here? What did I say here? What was I thinking here? It's just super frustrating. Yeah, and I know novelists who just start writing and they make it up as they go. Yeah. And then they do like extreme editing. I also know novelists who write out an entire outline, every chapter, mm. every plot point, every character, and they work and work and work on that outline for a long time before they even start writing. Right. And then they write to that outline and you know it's it just flows book. right out. Yeah, yeah. So you've got two ways to do it. I was never really good at outlining, but I could always just get started and start yeah. making stuff up. Um, I need to be like I need to be an outliner. Yeah, I, I need to focus more on the plot than these characters. You always got to be what you not stuff. what you're not naturally. Exactly. You, like that's your weakness that you got to work on. And so, like Hemingway said, uh, write drunk, edit sober. Yeah, was exactly. like one of his things. And then I guess Stephen King he wrote a, a book on writing recent, or I don't know if it was recently or if it's been. Uh, old, if you're thinking about you know. on writing, yeah, on writing. Stephen King he wrote it in like 2000. Five or six. Okay, and ago. in that one of the best books about writing that has ever been written. Really, and I tell people that, and they're surprised because they think, "Well, Stephen King is this pulp horror writer who killed but it." Stephen every King time. is 
an amazing writer. He is as prolific as like any human has ever been. And I know literary authors who if you ask them who is the best at the craft of writing, they will say it's Stephen King. He doesn't get the credit for it because he yeah. writes about zombies or killer clowns or whatever. Yeah. But he is as talented as anybody. Well, see, he's the name that comes up amongst people who read, people who get addicted to reading or mm-hmm. coping with something in their life, a depression or something, or just being a weirdo. They they get their nerdy readers, like serious readers is the people I'm talking about. Anytime you talk to one of them, they say Stephen King. I've read the most Stephen King. My dad, when he was dating my mom, he was reading Poltergeist. And he said, literally, like my mom tells the story, she says, like, she can remember him not wanting to get off the phone because he's so scared to be at his house alone because he's read this story that, like, literally scared him to death, you know? And and it's just amazing that a person, because it's almost a form of hypnosis or psychological like you like Stephen King can take a person over through the words that he jots on a page it's an amazing talent you know and but if even if you look at the stuff that he's done that is not horror i mean some of the biggest films most beloved films stand by me Duke. green mile yep. shawshank oh, redemption oh, that's shit. all stephen king and there's no oh. blood there's no guts oh it's dude just good storytelling beautiful storytelling to the point and this is the thing that i think transformers and pacific rim in hollywood today is losing is they got too reliant on the cgi and they don't just let the movie speak and yeah. breathe and just let it be good actors doing what good actors do which is they don't need uh, these big elablerate crazy just give them the real thing yeah. you know and an audience will respond well you, you know? take humanity out of it you know when you're using giant robots yeah, that are destroying that are... buildings and fighting each other yeah you've got little guys controlling it but that human element I think is what people identify with in a beloved yeah. film you know mm-hmm. and yeah, when you focus on the technology above the humanity, then that's when you start start to lose the plot. Did you ever see the movie with Tom Cruise? I can't think of what the chick's name was, where they're on the beach fighting the aliens. Um, um, damn, I, I'm like, John. Uh, the uh, one where they kept repeating? Yeah, he keeps like going back in, back in time. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. It's exactly like Groundhog Day with a badass guy and like yeah some swords and shit but yeah so the technology in that did not get in the way of a really exactly exactly in in the human element of this very vulnerable species on the spinning rock in the galaxy really shines through without it being so unbelievable that people always think it's like humanity is very crafty and has gone through some tight situations um and and they always want to pretend like there's a bigger, badder being out there that could just demolish everything that we have. And it's like, I like those movies that dance right on the line of destruction. And I think that those are the movies that you can take away all the CGI, like Green Mile. This dude's on death row. It's on the edge of destruction the entire movie, but they barely show any destruction. You know, that's the beauty in it. Stephen King. I mean, I need to read that book. It's been on. My, it's on my list. I made, I made list, and and I have to work down the list. And I put too many books in front of it, you know, to where now I have to read these six other books. But uh, it would be hard jump. to come up with a top five or ten list of Stephen King books. 
because he's just written far too many. Yeah. Um, and they're all so different. I mean, you you would have to say these are the best literary novels by Stephen King. These are the best, mm, you damn. know, horror novels yeah. by Stephen no King. Yeah, no genre. You These can't, the, you can't yeah, limit you him can't. to a genre. He, he exceeds that. And that, I mean, that's how you know he's a good writer. Oh, yeah. Well, and I guess he says that you just sit down and you just write. He's like, just write. Don't care. You're going to edit it in the back. Just write down ideas and just get through the whole thing. And then you go back and you pick it apart and you edit it and you say, what... What is the significance of me putting this here? Because I put it here subconsciously for a more conscious purpose, you know? And and being able to see that in yourself, like, that's what's amazing. Stephen King has all these various selves that he puts out there. Way more than a music artist would ever get away with. Way more than an artist, even a painter, would ever get away You can't change your style that many times and remain relevant through the whole thing regardless you know it's an amazing talent you know but um damn so that was that was i guess we're talking so you write fiction it just hasn't been published yet right only about four people in the world have read my fiction really damn probably should stay that way isn't that that awesome the four people that read it well they're all family members right right it's interesting the people you choose you have to have four people so stephen king has four people he has four people that he gives it to, and he says, do you think this is good? And if they said no, he would respect their opinion. Yeah. He would say, okay, you're one of my four, and you wouldn't, you know what is good about me. You wouldn't let me put something that's not good about me out in the world. So he has his four. But who are those four? Who are Stephen King's four? You know, or who are Michael Jordan's four yeah. that he like comes to and he says, I feel like a little bitch. I don't even want to play. I'm scared to death, you know? And they say, You're Michael Jordan. Get out there and be Michael Jordan or whatever, you know? Stephen King has that four. You have that four. I have that four. Uh, there's some people that don't have a solid four, and I feel like that's, that's what's lacking probably in their life, you know? Yeah. But you just have to have that four. Four people to read your novel, make it all the way through, and tell you what they think. Yeah, they've got to be committed to reading it. They've got to also be committed to not worrying about your feelings so much that they're just going to say, oh, it's great. I love it. Exactly. You know, they've they've got to be honest. They're no bullshit. It's like there's certain situations in every man's life where he needs a no bullshit person. And it could be your dad. It could be your best friend. It could be your wife. ought to be your spouse. It will be your kid. Because your kid doesn't give a shit. He'll tell you exactly what he's thinking, you know? Like, because that's his talent. It's his, it's his uh, privilege. Mm-hmm. Nobody can tell you straight like a son can tell you straight, I feel like. Well, and I, I haven't experienced it yet. But I imagine at some point in time he's going to say something like, little, speak a little bit of wisdom into my world that I couldn't imagine coming up with on my own, you know? So, sons, I don't know how that has anything to do with it. Um... When did you realize that you wanted to be a writer? What a, like age? School, I was whatever. always a good writer in high school. Like I was one of those annoying kids who got excited when we had some creative essay assignment in our English class or something like that because I enjoyed doing it and I was good at it and could do it quickly. Um, I went to Amarillo College thinking that I wanted to get into radio and TV. Mm. Um, and in the process of doing that, I took some electives, and one of them was a journalism class. And I loved it, because I was good at it. Uh, and so got involved at the student paper, the Ranger at Amarillo College. I was the editor of the student magazine, nice. AC Current. Um, this was about 
3.94, which was right at the cusp of graphic design going from analog to digital. Oh, damn. Desktop publishing was becoming a thing. You know, the internet was becoming An a thing. An eruption, dude. You've, you've ridden right the wave the of the eruption. Exactly. Yeah, that's so crazy. So we were getting online with AOL CD. Oh, you know, shit. To get the 20 I hours. I barely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. 20 hours. I remember the first time my journalism oh, professor shit. sat me down in his office and said, we just got connected to the internet. Come look at this with me. And we went to Yahoo, and we looked at Yahoo and the little blue links that it had. So it was right during those years. So during that time, I learned how to write um, as a journalist, which means write fast and accurate and simple. I learned how to do desktop publishing and graphic design on a computer using, like, early Macs. Nice. Um, And I learned and began learning about you know, the power of the online world as it was becoming, yeah. you know, I was familiar with the internet really early. And so all those things, right time, right place, um, went on to WT, got an English degree. Oh, nice. That's what um, my wife has. My wife has yeah, an English degree. Which was good. Um, went to work as a graphic designer nice. uh, for a, a local firm. So I was in the creative world. I was designing. I was also writing which is two different hats that don't often get worn mm, by the same person yeah. in the advertising industry. Uh, doing that um, was you know, pretty early uh, adopting and, and figuring out the, the power of, of websites and things like that. So I was building websites in 96, 97, 98. Um, can't do it now. Damn. But I could do it with like PageMill and you know, really early HTML coding and stuff like that. Damn. Um, and so... Yeah, that career just sort of grew and grew until eventually I set out on my own, figured out that a whole lot more people could do graphic design because kids were coming out of college, everybody had a MacBook at that point, everybody knew how to use Illustrator or Photoshop or whatever, but still nobody could write. And so I embraced the the writing aspect of it, Um, decided to just, I I still do a little bit of design, but to focus on that full time and started turning my clients, you know, from advertising or marketing in that world into just individual clients as as a writer. So yeah. Whether it was social media or websites or you know radio, TV, any of that sort of stuff, I've been in all those worlds. I've been in all those worlds like through tumultuous periods in those worlds, and so yeah. I feel comfortable with stuff that you know has always been a thing, like screenwriting for radio commercials or yeah. whatever. To you know, saying, well, here's a new thing. Here's Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I can do that too. And so I've I've been through enough rapid fire change and figured out how to navigate that, that I guess new technologies and, and things like that, I don't, I'm not afraid of them. I'm not yeah. afraid of digging in and learning how to do it and finding a way to turn it into nice. a job or, you know, Well, see, and that's, that's what the millennial generation will be known for, which are what, are you an X or what? I'm Generation it? X. Yeah. X. So I feel like the adaptability of Generation X and on is going to be really like a marker in human history of like time where it, you know, first is like, okay, I grow up and my dad's a spear thrower and we hunt 
boars, mm-hmm. right? And so from the time I'm a little baby, they start training me on how to be a spear thrower. And, and whenever I'm 30, I'm a spear thrower until I'm not a spear thrower anymore because I'm so specialized at it that I can live my whole life in that one little realm. Well, now it's like, no, you have to learn Facebook and then it's going to change. And then you got to be able to adapt through the algorithms and you got to be figuring this and it's like a constantly evolving changing world just to get noticed at whatever it is you do good i mean hey you're a good drummer newsflash there's a billion good drummers in the world are you a great drummer are you a unique drummer um i can't ever damn i'm not gonna be able to remember his name but the guitarist for rage against the machine uh i should be able to know his name i should tom tom perillo perillo is it that yeah i think so i can't remember but I was watching a thing on him, maybe it was behind the music or whatever the hell, I can't remember. And he was talking about being in L.A. and playing gigs. And they'd get on as like the third band or the second band. And there'd be a band in front of them and two bands after, three bands after. And he said he sat there and watched every guitarist and was like, that might literally be the best guitarist I've ever seen in my life. Just absolutely amazing. And it was a no-name band after a no-name band, after a no-name band. And he came up with this, like, realization. He came to this realization where he said, the only way I'm going to get noticed is if I'm incredibly unique. I won't get there by being incredibly good, you know? And that's when he came up with that iconic sound of just this, you know, like, almost like playing through, like, a bass amp or something. And, you know, just gnarly music sounding, you know? And then what happens? He's probably the only band that played there that entire year that made it to gold record status. Even well, it's, though he it's just like the the story. I mean, this is this is my generation. The story with Nirvana, you know, where you have this trio, and oh, shit, Kurt Cobain man. is playing guitar. You know, you've got Chris Novoselic who's doing the bass, and Dave Grohl, the yeah. drummer, the drummer, the drummer. And yeah. so people used to say about Nirvana, you know what? The best musician, the best guitar player, the best singer in that band is their drummer, you know? And yeah. everybody just kind of laughed it off and laughed it off. And then now you've got Foo Fighters, which has oh, lasted yeah. so much more than Nirvana. Maybe not quite as influential, but yeah. it's, it's got that I don't DNA. know, man. They, In the long run, looking historically back at times and movements, what's going to be more relevant? The five years of grunge? Or the uh, resulting alternative rock genre that, like, a lot of these different things melded together and became. Mm-hmm. In, in alternative rock, which punk, are, like, punk, I feel like um, all these really raw forms of music, they have it. They have an ex- expiration date. As soon as they become super popular, they're no longer the unique thing that they were. I think right. that's grunge. I think that's punk. I think there's a bunch of different things. Well, and uh, grunge was just an updated version of. Punk. Oh yeah, it's, exactly. It's the same. It was the same new family tree. The new incarnation, but all these things I feel like kind of came into this uh, alternative rock genre, mm-hmm. which few bands made the jump into that. Like Red Hot Chili Peppers is a band that's been around since punk. They were probably considered punk, or who knows what the grunge yeah, or surf punk, surf maybe. punk, or there was something. But they've made the jump into alternative rock, and so it, I think like Foo Fighters on the large scale of things, 
like to people my age and younger are probably way more relevant than oh, they didn't true. see that they didn't see the music video Teen Spirit playing every fifth episode right. or you know they weren't alive during yeah these and you just if you weren't alive there you just don't know how big of a deal Nirvana was yeah it was it was all anybody was talking about you know and whatever year that was, 1991, 1990? I mean, I think Smashing Pumpkins were, like, the number one band in the of in the world in, like, 92. Mm-hmm. And you think it's uh, it goes from literally the losers of the school, the rejects of the school, the, the people who no one wanted to hang out with. Now they're the rock stars on the stage. It, it like, completely flips the social table you know right. because then you start even the preppiest prep is thinking kind of like to themselves damn that song's rocking you know like i like that shit even well, but though that's what happened with the internet too all of a sudden oh, yeah. the guys who are just the computer nerds are the billionaires you know bill gates is running the world steve jobs is running the world running the world and so yeah everything everything flipped power yeah. flipped power flipped man and that's that's what's i think so funny is uh i wrote a blog post a little while back and that was kind of like my main point of it was like we're in the middle of the most iconic revolution that our species will ever be known for. Like they'll have the enlightenment and there will be these different things that are like benchmarks on it. Mm-hmm. But the social media, when social media came online, it's like as as monumental as the printing press coming I think online. So. You know? I think so. Probably I wouldn't put social media as its own thing. I would say it's internet, an outgrowth of the internet. The internet. Uh, yeah. The World Wide Web. But yeah, Cause combined apps, with the iPhone, the introduction of the iPhone. Yes, because personal that fueled, computers. Like Facebook, Twitter, all those things wouldn't work if we didn't no. have the most powerful computers we've ever Not had in our pockets. In our pockets. Right. Like who can even – like. I was thinking that the other day, how how much I can't even finish one novel, and you think Stephen and I have a MacBook, whatever Air that's badass, like high level, could have gotten me to the moon and back, um, with a more adventurous uh, civilization, um, but I can't write a book, you know. And then you have like guys like Ernest Went Hemingway who are typing that shit out mm-hmm. on a typewriter. It's like. What is he? What he's writing on a typewriter and he's turning this bitch in, and then they're editing it, and then he has to read through every single page yeah. and change little things, and then retype that bitch. And it's like, and I'm complaining about not being able to be productive. Shakespeare it's like, wrote by hand wrote with a by feather hand. quill. He had to dip into a little thing. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh god, by candle, by candlelight, with my fingers, yeah, typing these. And this is a conversation I've had with my wife. Like, I probably would really struggle to sit down and have to write out something really thoughtful with a pen and paper because deleting, going back, revising as I type, like, I need my fingers now to form thoughts. And I'm much better at a keyboard even than tapping a text with a phone. And that's how much that physicality... Like gets into your brain yeah. and impacts your cognitive ability. Well, they used really to. I remember them telling us about in fifth grade we had to learn cursive handwriting because all the teachers in the next grade are going to expect you to write cursive. And I can't remember the last time cursive handwriting has been relevant to my life or relevant to my success. And they spent a shit ton of time trying to teach me that. But now I can sit to a computer and forget who I am. Like literally forget that I'm writing or that I'm thinking. 
and at the end of it there's a page of writing and it's like okay what did i mean here like then you have to go back and edit and then that's a whole nother uh monster but being able to edit into a word processor i can't like can you imagine benjamin franklin with a word processor oh, yeah. like a george wall you know or thomas jefferson or these guys with a word processor where they can they could just tweet could you imagine the tweets from thomas jefferson i mean he would have been Oh, he would have had dude. some good, some sick burns. Oh man, I well, and that's what's beautiful is now you're seeing like the hashtag movement and the emojis and the gifs and the memes and all this weird communication that speaks volumes in an image in a three second image. Yep. It can say so re- relay so much uh, cultural relevance. It's like what are we dealing with? And I'm you know? I'm super interested in how this impacts my kids' generation and younger just in terms of their brain development. Mm. And, and that's a nerdy thing to talk about. But I, I can see in myself how I went from being you know, a student who wrote out essays in paper, you know, pen and, and a, a notepad, and then I would go and in college, go to the computer lab and have to type them out, oh, submit shit. an essay. Floppy disk I and went shit. from that to a guy who had to sit at a computer in my journalism class and write a story right there. And I, there wasn't time to go from that. And so I learned to compose on the fly on a keyboard. Mm. And that literally has changed the way that I think and oh, the way that shit. I write. Yeah. And so if I saw that happen, you know, in 1994 with my own brain... When people start worrying about, oh, kids these days, they're not spelling Mm. out Y-O-U, they're just typing U, it's all lowercase, they're using emojis in the way they communicate, that's that's a significant cognitive change in the way that they think. Right. And that doesn't mean that it's all doom and gloom and this generation is going to be stupid, but it does change the way that your brain works and the way that you think about things. I mean, the, the invention of the novel changed the way that humans began to use their minds and use their brains. And, and the there printing was press was significant to that. And this, you know, you mentioned before, this is like the printing press. Oh, yeah. It's going to change human output in oh, some see, way. I told you this. Damn, the GoPro. See, it's yeah, just it's dead. Up. It's yeah. like, why is it dead? I don't know. I don't even know when it went dead. What time is um, it? Yeah, it's 5.30. You got to get out of I here? I got 15 minutes. Okay, 15 minutes. Yeah, we're at an hour and five, so we're cool. we've hit the benchmark. But I've only gotten through like... Two lines of questioning. Yeah, but so we I'm got through all... Benjamin Franklin's sick burns on Twitter. Yeah, so on Twitter, dude. I couldn't imagine. Know we were this. Going there. Yeah, well, there's always a chance. Like that's the thing is I'm, I do these ramble podcasts as well. So I have two formats. Wait, this has not been a ramble. This podcast. isn't a ramble okay. podcast. A ramble podcast is me doing this without a guest. Okay. Me just like it. reading over my notes and just whatever you know, just bullshit. I could literally talk to a wall for an hour. And that's part of the reason I wanted to start a podcast is it's like, well, if a microphone is a little bit more receptive than a wall, you know, so maybe it can be something more than it is. But um, let's see. Damn, I completely lost my train of thought on that. Okay, so we'll we'll just finish out the author question. We won't even get into podcasting this episode. Okay. I'll, I'll finish it off with um, – I got two more questions with under the – the bullet point of author is uh was it natural or earned you've kind of it sounds like it was fairly natural like the the um ability the to... ability to write was natural the ability to write clearly and quickly was earned mm, nice um, you 
you can get a long way on talent by itself. Uh, but just being talented doesn't mean you can write books mm. or you can finish books or you can write books according to the deadlines that a publisher is going to set. I mean, yeah. it, it takes a unique combination of left brain and right brain ability to be able to do that. You've got to be well. both creative and type A. You've yep. got to be disciplined and undisciplined. You've got to be lofty, daydreaming, whatever, but also get down to business, get this shit done, turn something in. Yeah. I am not one of those writers who is constantly pushing deadlines or turning in manuscripts late or anything like that. I mean, I make a living now as a professional writer, which means I've got to do things how my clients need me to do it. Um, and so I've got to have organizational skills. I've got to be disciplined. I've nice. got to be able to sit down at my house, you know, in my home office and not just watch Netflix or yeah. be on Facebook Super or whatever tempting. all day. Mm-hmm. So there's... There's a lot of elements. You can't just be a purely creative person. And I think I was born with that purely creative aspect, and I had to learn the discipline. Yeah, nice. Um, and then we've already touched a little bit on it with Stephen King, but what do you read? I read not as often as I used to. Um, I used to go through about 120 books a year. Damn. Um I used to keep a list, actually. Uh, this was before I had kids, before I was writing my own books, before I was running my own business. Nice. Um, these days, I primarily read fiction. Um, I read a lot of young adult fiction. Nice. Uh, because I, I think that's one of the... Ender's Game? Uh, Ender's Game, probably Orson Scott Card would not have considered Ender's Game to be young adult fiction. He was oh, just yeah. writing... Oh, yeah, just writing a book. You know, right, right, you know, right. YA fiction is, is sort of its own genre right oh, okay, now. okay. Uh, Orson Scott Card, though, is a really good writer. See, he, he's gotten a little bit uh, controversial lately, but his stuff Mormon, in the 80s right? and 90s were oh, really dude. good. Oh, mind-blowing. And see, like, uh, so whenever I was in middle school, I don't, I can't remember which middle schooler or which friend got into Orson Scott Card, but being able stumbling into a universe that's that big with that many books and goes in that many different directions it goes way religious way political way military way all these different directions it just like i guess that's why i consider it young adult fiction is because i stumbled into it as young adult that was like one of the first series i actually read you know that i can so i think i think some of the best storytelling right now is happening in young adult fiction. Nice. I think it started uh, with J.K. Rowling and Harry mm, Potter, damn. which really was written for children, but it became more young adult as Harry grew so up. So Shannon, you know? Shannon, uh, my wife, grew up in the in the grade of Harry Potter. Really? So she so just like, followed him. As she was going and as she was releasing the books, Shannon's like reading about a high school freshman as she's a high school freshman. It's kind of an interesting reading it like a lot of times within the day it was released right. reading these massive books in a day yeah taking off school i'm not sleeping you know and endurance events jk rowling i definitely yeah. think would be so i i read nice. a lot of ya fiction just because i i think it is not afraid to tell like real stories um with real characters, and I think some of the best storytelling these days is taking place with authors like John Green, um, who wrote like *The Fault in Our Stars*. Oh uh, yeah, a number of re- really good books. Um, Suzanne Collins with *Hunger Games*. Oh damn, that's YA. Um, and *Hunger Games* is a dope book. Like the first yeah. book, it'll make you. It's a page turner. Yeah. It's hard to find page turners these days, and that's a page turner. Plus, I have kids, 
who are in high school now. Um, and so I, I liked being able to read books and then recommend those books to my kids mm, and talk nice. about that with them. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Um, well, we're done to the end of that section of questions. Next, we'll have another one, and I'll interview about Hey Amarillo. Okay. We'll talk about it. your podcast. Um, do you want to mention, throw out real quick, like where people can find you or where they can find your work? Yeah, so I have a website at jasonboyette.com. Uh, you can go there, click on the books tab, and see the 12 to 15 books. Yeah, a bunch of books. I don't know how many. Uh, and those are all on Amazon? You can find them all on Amazon, yeah. Barnes & Noble, places like that. Nice. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, hey Amarillo is my local podcast. It's an interview podcast with. But even if you're people. not just an like, even if you're not an Amarillo person, like I as a as a listener, I'll step in on this. As a listener, even if you're not an Amarillo person or you don't have anything to do with Amarillo per se, it's an interesting podcast. You have really interesting guests, Good. and you hit you hit points that are relevant outside of the high plains that people should know about. Like, I mean, people should know about different geographical areas of right. the country. There's a lot of inside baseball to it because we're talking about restaurants or things that are happening yeah. here. But one of the things I really like to do is say, why are you here and why do you do what you do? And just hearing the story of how someone became a lawyer or how yeah. I got into this business or how I was doing this thing and then I quit and started this restaurant. Um, those are stories that don't get told in a lot of yeah, mediums. And I think a podcast is a great way to do that. Perfect. So. You got to do it through conversational yeah. based, like, because you never know where it's going to take you like that. And you have to allow that option. And, um, yeah, I would definitely say, and that's the thing is a lot of people, and especially as we become more and more disconnected from our past, I think, traveling road tripping especially with automated driving road tripping is going to come back around and you're going to drive through amarello you have to if you're going to go anywhere interesting if you're going to go anywhere interesting in the world no matter where you start you have to go through amarello i think so if you start in the northeast you gotta go through amarello to get to the southeast you know or the southwest if you start in the southeast you gotta go through amarello to get to the northwest and you gotta go to the opposite area to really see beauty i mean like a lot of people don't get behind the the high plains beauty but there is a high plains beauty that if you haven't grown up in if you've grown up in the middle of new york city you have got to see the vastness of land unpopulated there's a reason georgia o'keefe lived here and not new york city yeah i mean she decided I'm going to live here. Now, eventually she ended up in Santa Fe um, or in that area. But, man, if, if some of the best artists in the world talk about the beauty of this area, they, they it's probably legit. know something. So if you're interested in Amarillo at all or if you're going to be traveling through Amarillo or if you don't give a rip about Amarillo, check out Hey Amarillo Podcast. Hey Amarillo Podcast. Everywhere you listen to podcasts. Everywhere you listen to podcasts. He didn't He didn't skip that part of uh, the podcast. He, he put listed RSS feeds everywhere they need to be listed. Um, so anyway, the way I end it is with you selecting a song. So this can be a song from your childhood, that like favorite song, one that's like currently bumping in your car, maybe one that your kids found, I anything. One that you oh. think the kid needs to hear. Who would for the children? What do they need to hear? Uh, don't don't forget about it. You know what? I I've, I've been pretty good about introducing my children to good music. Um here's what this is not a song that holds a lot of deep personal meaning for me, but Poison and Wine is that the name of it? By the Civil Wars. Oh, um, I think that's what it's called. I haven't listened to it in a long time. 
um, is one of the best written songs from a lyrical perspective that has ever been written. Nice. And I played it for my kids once, you know, as a dad trying to teach them, you know, when it first came out. I was like, kids, this is one of the best written songs you'll ever hear. They didn't care about it. They weren't interested, but um, lyrically... And in terms of how it's developed, it is a masterpiece. Nice. I was on that wave whenever Poison, well, whenever uh, Civil Wars came out. Uh, I can't even remember what the other songs that they released were. They only had one album, and then they kind of fell apart. Yeah, they broke up. They yeah. broke up. But man, I remember watching their. I think they had an Austin City Limits, or there's something mm-hmm. of them playing live. Um, and then my parents bought that album, and then I think my parents went and saw them live once. And oh, dude, just a badass band. I mean. With just their voices, like they're harmonizing and the guitar playing, just the style. It's almost nostalgic, but it's also like pushes the limits. It's new, not new agey, but it's alt country, you yeah, know, which yeah. takes alt that country. twang of country music and sort of wraps it up in a little less twangy. Yeah, like yeah, makes it more uh, digestible almost to like the, the more artsy inclined or something right. like that. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a really good song. A lot of good emotions, excellent lyricism. Uh, the idea itself is brilliant. Nice. Yeah, okay, well, that's what we're about to hear. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Hey, Amarillo. And, uh, oh, pff, hey, Amarillo. Coming on from What's Hey, Amarillo. Mine is Panhandle Primate Podcast. And uh, we'll leave you at that. Uh, check you later, people. Bye. you too